Okay, uh, I want to start by thanking the organizers of this conference for bringing us all together and thanking John Templeton and uh, thanking Peter for a really interesting paper. Um, and the second thing I want to do is apologize to Peter um, because I only gave him my comments a couple of days ago, so he has not had much time to uh, digest and consider them. But, um, uh, so Peter's paper is responding to an argument from Don Page for the conclusion that you ought to assign probability zero to the proposition that you will exist forever, um, which is a troubling conclusion for those of us who believe or at least hope that uh, there may be an eternal afterlife. Though, it, I mean, this kind of reasoning also makes trouble for lots of other views too. So I'm gonna start by uh, giving a brief overview of a simplified version of this argument um, to get us, make sure we're all on the same page with it. Um, then I'll talk about uh, the two main objections that Peter gives to this argument. And then, time permitting, I will make about four remarks about those um, objections. Okay, so here's the warm-up. Um, we're going to think about a, a different case, a simple case as an analogy. So as is customary in probabilistic examples, there is an urn containing marbles. And these marbles are numbered one, two, three, four, and so on. Um, the trick is you don't know how many marbles are in the urn. So to begin with, for simplicity, let's suppose you're just considering two hypotheses about the number of marbles. You think there might be few marbles, just 100, or you think that there might be many marbles, 100,000. Those are the two hypotheses that you're considering. Now, the observation. A marble is randomly drawn from the urn, and behold, it's marble number 33. This is good evidence against the hypothesis that there are many marbles. And we can see this just by a basic Bayesian calculation. The basic idea is, what's the likelihood of that observation given that there's few marbles? Well, it's one in 100. What's the likelihood of that observation given that there's many marbles? It's one in 100,000. What's the ratio between those likelihoods? Well, it's 1,000 to one which means that this is disconfirmation of the hypothesis many with Bayes factor 1,000. Um, it's pretty strong evidence. And you can generalize this. So the, uh, if you were considering also the hypothesis that there are very many marbles, 100 million, then uh, it's gonna, the observation of marble 33 is going to be even stronger disconfirmation for that hypothesis. And it's stronger disconfirmation yet for the hypothesis that there are very, very many marbles in the urn. Okay, so far that's just standard probabilistic reasoning. This next step is not standard probabilistic reasoning. The next step is, well, it looks like we can see where this is going. As the numbers of marbles get bigger and bigger, the degree to which the hypothesis that there are that many marbles uh, is disconfirmed gets bigger and bigger. Um, and so it's natural to reason to the limit and think if you were started out assigning finite probability to the hypothesis that there are infinitely many marbles in that urn, um, then that hypothesis by this observation should be infinitely disconfirmed, which is to say the probability, whatever it was, should go all the way down to zero. So I'm gonna call that last bit the extrapolation step, the extrapolation from the finite case to the infinite case. Okay. So that's marbles, now let's talk about everlasting life. Um, so instead of thinking about an urn full of marbles, let's think about the span of my existence, which we'll think of as divided into years. 
This is a, a little bit of a simpler version than the, the way that uh, Peter discusses it. Um, and again, if I'm just considering the hypothesis, well, uh, I'm, I'm considering various hypotheses about what the span of my existence will be. Maybe it's just 100 years, maybe it's 100,000, maybe it's 100 million, maybe it's infinite. And then I make an observation. It occurs to me, hey, wait a sec. I'm presently in year 33 of my life. In fact, I just started. Today is my 32nd birthday. Um, and I make this observation. And then you might think by analogy with the marbles, that's like observing marble 33. It's very strong evidence against my having a very uh, long existence. And it's infinitely strong evidence against my having an infinite existence. So what would it take for that analogy to hold up between the marbles and the uh, years? Um, well, the crucial assumption is that the present moment is relevantly like a marble drawn from an urn. Um, and indeed, Peter labels this appropriately as the crucial assumption. Um, as he puts it, I may regard the present moment as a moment chosen at random from the interval which is the total span of my existence. Okay. So there are two places that argument could go wrong. Um, one is the uh, crucial assumption that years are like marbles. And the other is the extrapolation step from the finite to the infinite. And in fact, Peter thinks that the argument goes wrong in both of those places. He gives two different independent objections, one to the crucial assumption and one to the extrapolation. Um, I agree with Peter. I think that this argument is fishy in both of those places, um, though I have maybe not the exact same reasons. Um, so here are Peter's two objections. Um, here's the first objection as I understand it. So he does it in terms of the proposition H that I'm now in the first 100 years of my existence. So year 33 is stronger than that. Um, well, he gives an argument by, re by, by limiting reasoning that um, the probability of H, the prior probability, even before I kind of check when I, what time the uh, present is, um, is zero. Um, but the, we're interested here in the conditional probability of my living forever on H, or on something stronger, which would also have zero. Now, standardly, the conditional probability of F on H is defined to be a ratio between two unconditional probabilities. It's the ratio between the probability that I live forever and I'm in my first 100 years, and the probability that I'm in my first 100 years. And that ratio is undefined if the denominator is zero. So, um, we should think that, in fact, this conditional probability can't be given by this formula. And in fact, Peter says that there just isn't any number, which is the probability of my living forever conditional on my being now in the first 100 years. That's the first objection. The second objection um, goes like this. So I'm suppose I'm now considering an argument like this, an argument that involves the crucial assumption for the first time. And Peter's abbreviation for argument that involves the crucial assumption is Attica. So I'm now, for the first time, considering an Attica. Now here's an observation, though. One of the things I know when I'm first considering an Attica is that I am now first considering an Attica. And then the thought is, uh, let's, let's call that uh, the Attica fact. The Attica fact is the fact that I am now first considering an argument that involves the crucial assumption. Another thought is, well, if I know the Attica fact, then the crucial assumption is not plausible. 
Um, and the reason for that is that it's reasonable to suppose that even if the span of your existence is very long, the first time you, it occurs to you to consider a, an argument that involves the crucial assumption is likely to be early in that existence. And so the Attica fact introduces a bias towards earlier times rather than later ones. And so given the Attica fact, um, you shouldn't um, be uh, re regarding it as a kind of uniformly drawn marble out of the uh, total span of your existence. Okay. So those are the two objections as I understood them. So first I want to say something about the first objection. Um, so this said that, hey, look, this evidence has probability zero, and so there is no number which is the conditional probability of the hypothesis of everlasting life given that evidence. And this is completely correct when it comes to the standard definition of conditional probability. The standard mathematical, def mathematical definition uses that ratio, and it is undefined. But a lot of us have been convinced by a particularly work by Alan Hayek. Um, this is a paper called What Conditional Probabilities Could Not Be. Um, um, that, in fact, the standard ratio definition of conditional probability is wrong. And in fact, it does make sense to conditionalize on evidence that has probability zero. And the main evidence for this is a bunch of examples. Um, so here's, you are to imagine I have a whiteboard here and I'm drawing on it. Uh, so imagine a square uh, continuous dartboard and imagine that a, an ideally sharp dart is thrown at this board. What's the probability that the dart hits this left edge here? Um, well, it's zero. I mean, there are infinitely many different uh, vertical lines here along this board that are all equally likely. Um, but the fact that it has probability zero is not to say that it's impossible. In fact, it could hit the edge. And in fact, one of those probability zero events has to happen. Um, and so it makes sense to think about, uh, this is the sort of, sort of uh, evidence that you might learn. And it also makes sense to think about what attitudes you should, or what probabilities you should assign uh, conditional on that uh, proposition being true. So for example, it seems like it makes sense to uh, consider the probability of the dart hitting the top half of the board, conditional on it hitting the left edge, to be a half. So I think that the fact that, I mean, supposing it is a fact that the probability of H is zero just doesn't settle the question of what the conditional probability of uh, living forever on H is. It doesn't say that it's undefined, it doesn't say, but it could still be zero for all we said. Let's see. So there's another problem um, uh, with the extrapolation step, which I want to at least briefly mention. Um, so one of the standard axioms of probability theory is this axiom called countable additivity. I won't mess with what exactly it says, but one of the consequences of countable additivity is that suppose you have a marble for each counting number. Countable additivity implies that it is not the case that each marble is equally likely to be drawn. In fact, it's countable additivity is inconsistent with the claim that each marble is equally likely to be drawn, supposing probabilities are real numbers. Um, and moreover, it's, it's, uh, they have to be diff different from each other in a kind of systematic way in that, generally speaking, earlier marbles have to be more likely to be drawn than later marbles. Sort of surprising. Um, so what that means is that when we consider the, I mean, if we're doing standard probability, when we consider the hypothesis uh, that there are infinitely many marbles, um, 
In fact, that gets disconfirmed less by marble 33 than other kinds of hypotheses that say there are large finite amounts of marbles. Uh, so, I mean, the general observation, I mean, well, well, a couple things. So, first I should note, countable additivity is also controversial in, in similar ways to the standard ratio definition of conditional probability being controversial. Um, if it fails, we're no longer doing standard probability theory. We're doing something else, and it's a little bit the Wild West. It's not totally clear exactly how we should be proceeding. Um, and then I just want to point out that we ought to be really cautious about reasoning just by way of taking these limits, because um, lots of things that work out perfectly well in the finite case break down, like uniform distributions. Okay, so that's it about the uh, extrapolation step. Now concerning the Attica. Well, first, I want to consider a more general puzzle that I have about how to understand this argument. So say I'm considering now the evidential import of this fact I know, the year 33 fact, for other things, like the hypothesis about how long I'll exist. Now, in general, what's evidence for what depends on what background evidence I have. And so the general question I have is, what background evidence am I supposed to be taking into consideration when I assess this, these conditional probabilities, when I assess the evidential import of this, uh, of this thing that I know? The answer can't be all the evidence I actually have. Because after all, that evidence includes the fact that today is my 32nd birthday. That's something I know. Um, and with respect to that background evidence, the evidential import of I'm in year 33 is just going to be trivialized. It's, just, it's not evidence for or against anything against that background. Now, that's normal. I mean, a lot of times we want to assess the evidential import of things that we know. And the standard way of doing it is we just roll back to some more limited evidential state, uh, to some kind of state that has less evidence than all of our evidence, and think about the effect of adding this to that background. But in this particular case, it's very tricky to think about what that background we roll back to would be. Um, it can't include facts like it's my 32nd birthday. It can't include facts like I have memories of my 33rd year, but no memories of my 34th year. Um, or of my, yeah. Um, um, and in particular, if the crucial assumption is going to be remotely plausible, then it's, I've got to be rolling back just about everything I know about when the present moment is. Because I know all kinds of things that you know, tell me about how far into my lifetime the present moment is. OK, the Attica fact, the fact that I'm now considering an argument that involves the crucial assumption for the first time, is one of those facts. It's one of those facts about when I am in my life. Um, and I completely agree that given this fact, the crucial assumption is not at all plausible. Um, but this is for a general reason. It's part of this general package of facts um, that are facts about what's gone on in my life so far, how far into it I am. So one thing that's not clear to me is why Peter is focusing on that particular fact. Um, um, another way of putting it is, for this argument to make any sense, um, we've got to be rolling back to, uh, to an evidential state that excludes lots of things we know. Um, if we're looking at a state like that, then I'll be ignoring, I'll be bracketing the Attica fact. Um, and of course, if I'm not bracketing the Attica fact, then um, then this, there, there's, then I'm not bracketing. I mean, if I'm not bracketing the Attica fact, then uh, I, I'm not sure why I'm not also not bracketing lots of other stuff I know that just trivializes the evidential import of th year 33. Okay. 
Now, final point. Um, this actually suggests a, we get a ray of hope from this observation for how to think about this, this argument. For the argument to work, the crucial assumption has to be plausible with respect to whatever the background evidence that we're, just, uh, that we're taking into consideration. Um, so for the, crucial, for the crucial assumption to be plausible, we have to be bracketing lots of stuff we know. But that means if what we're interested in is not just the evidential import of this fact about when I am in my life, but actually what probability I ought to assign to, say, the proposition that I'll exist forever, considering all of my actual evidence, well, I've got to throw that other evidence back in. I, I, it wouldn't give me the right answer to just ignore it all. And there's a general hope, at least, that hypotheses that were strongly disconfirmed by that limited bunch of my evidence, um, together with the year 33 fact, um, might be strongly confirmed by other stuff that I know in addition. The general thing to, to remember is just that probabilistic reasoning is not monotonic. So, um, you know, it could be that given some of your evidence, X is almost certainly false. Given more of your evidence, then uh, X is almost certainly true. And in fact, if the point about conditionalizing on evidence with probability zero is correct, then that can happen even when the proposition is driven down to probability zero. You can learn something with probability zero that drives it back up. So I think that when we take all of our evidence into account, our prospects for everlasting life might look a little better. That's it. They say I'm supposed to go over here. Okay, so I'll go over here. Um, well, thank, thanks to Jeff for these very uh, interesting and insightful comments, which I received in sitting in O'Hare Airport the day before uh, yesterday. So really, they're almost as new uh, to me as they are to you. But I will do what I can uh, under these conditions and also under the conditions of there being no blackboard or whiteboard. Uh, in this room, I don't see how you can have a philosophy conference with no blackboard or whiteboard. Otherwise, it's an excellent conference. Um, <laughs> so, okay, first about probability zero evidence. Uh, I am aware that you can certainly conditionalize on probability zero evidence. I didn't know Hayek's work, but uh, I was familiar with examples of the same uh, sort in any way, and I didn't intend to say that you couldn't, but I inadvertently said something that implied that you couldn't. And it occurred in the paper where I said this, and therefore Bayesian reasoning cannot be used to calculate either the probability that I shall live forever on the uh, 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 hypothesis that I am less than 100 years old, and this probability can't be calculated by any other method either because it didn't exist. I shouldn't have said the second thing. I just should have said, look, it's a Bayesian calculation. If you tried it, it you, that you're trying to do, you're having to divide by zero. You can't divide by zero, so the argument's no good. That's, that's, that's I should have stopped uh, there. Okay. Uh, so emit that second sentence from the uh, paper. Um, so, now, countable additivity, interesting point. It doesn't, uh, 
um, actually apply to my argument, which didn't involve countable cases, but there is a very similar argument, uh, you know, for each. Uh, I mean, the, um, let's look at, I think countable additivity is extremely plausible. After all, you have it in measure theory, uh, where you're just measuring the, uh, the size that a set of points takes up in some uh, space in Euclidean uh, three space. And I think probability theory should be um, uh, modeled on standard measure theory. Uh, with granted, there are going to be problems about conditional probabilities. I don't know; those are difficult. Um, but at any rate, unconditional probabilities. Uh, just a, a remark about why uh, could um, how could it be that if you have an infinite number of marbles and you choose one at random? Uh, one of them doesn't have the same probability as any other of being chosen. Why? Because there is no such thing as choosing anything from a countably infinite set at random. Uh, or so it would appear to me. Try to think of a, of a I don't know, an infinite, an infinitely long tube at this end and some means for uh, choosing, uh, and it's all full of marbles all the way out to infinity, and try to choose uh, some Think of some way of choosing one at random. Now, of course, you know, as always in philosophy, there are these problems, right? I mean, suppose um, there are an infinite number of stars and everyone is either red or green. Should we be surprised that ours is green? Well, no, it's a 50 50 chance, right? Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, I don't, uh, lot, lots of, uh, lots of problems. Uh, now finally, about background evidence. Um, now the, the Attica argument was supposed to cast doubt on uh, the crucial assumption in general. That is, we're supposed to be um, picking there's a set of, of things, an infinite set of things. We're supposed to be picking one of them at random, uh, right? And we don't have any extraneous information in the sense that the probability distribution is uniform. Uh, that is, for any two sets of the same measure in there, we're equally likely to pick something uh, from that set. The Attica, the crucial assumption is just supposed to ensure that the choice is random. It isn't supposed to have anything to do with how probability, uh, how, what the random, how likely the random choice is to find something inside a particular uh, set inside that set. Uh, so maybe I made it look in the paper as if the, the Attica reasoning is something that you should go through while you're considering uh, the problem. And yeah, well, maybe, I, yes, I did uh, make it look like that. But another way to look at it might be to say, step, take a step back. Look at people going through this uh, reasoning. Are they justified in making this assumption? So let's consider the, I just want to end by, you know, considering the, the parable uh, at the end of the paper. So what do you think about this piece of reasoning? You're starting out on this long journey. You don't know how long it will be. Maybe it's just a couple of miles. Maybe it's thousands of miles. You're going to go by foot. It's very uh, tedious journey, you're plodding along, uh, and then you see this stone column. And you read what's written on the stone column. It says, hey, traveler, consider this piece of 
reasoning. The point at which you're reading these words is randomly chosen uh, from the whole length of your journey. Uh, you've only gone a few miles. So probably, not certainly, but probably you've only got a few miles to go. And then the um, um, Pilgrim's Progress character shows up and tells the Pilgrim that these are the words of false comfort. Right? And you can see why they would be words of false comfort, because the guy has no reason to think that the pillar was randomly placed uh, there. I mean, maybe there's no reason to think it isn't, but there's no reason to think it is. The crucial assumption is like, I can treat whatever moment uh, as the present moment, for whatever reason I happen to be treating it as something, I can treat it as a randomly chosen moment from my existence, or in this case, from a randomly chosen point on the road. I think you need a, um, the point of the Attica argument uh, was supposed to, um, well, first of all, you can point out you don't have any reason to think that this is a randomly chosen moment, and some reason to think it isn't. Uh, that if you have a very long lifespan, um, there would be, uh, the, 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 the moment that you're calling the present moment when you're going through the reasoning, and after all, that is the moment Know, that you're thinking of as the present moment, you shouldn't regard that. People in general should not regard that uh, as a randomly chosen moment from the whole moment of their existence. They should expect uh, to have a bias uh, towards the earlier phases of their existence. Remember, I said that earlier phases of your existence, uh, uh, well, I said if, if, if Peter Geach considered Natica for the first time after uh, he was, uh, just shortly after his 97th birthday, when he was on, and if he was gonna cease to exist when he died, even that would be from the earlier stages of his existence by the, the time scales uh, that we're considering here. Uh, okay, I'm, as I said, I'm really totally unprepared uh, for these excellent uh, comments, so I think I'll stop blathering at this point and turn things uh, over to the, um, audience.